0: Okay, we are in a series uh, working our way through the New Testament letter of Romans and um, just really excited about this series. Always get super excited about new series, uh, super excited about God's word really and how it's going to shape us, form us um, and transform us, not just as individual Christians but also as the church as a whole. And um, God certainly did that through our Life in the Spirit series uh, previously and trusting that God is doing that uh, in and amongst us. Uh, as we look at Romans. Okay, the reality is that we live in a world of division, a world of division, of boundary marking. We've got this sense of I'm in this party, you're in that party. I'm in, you're out. You believe that, you must be fill in the blank. You have that lifestyle. How could you live like that? Reading the comments of some YouTube videos, especially where they center around debates or um, seemingly controvers- controversial views, um, it just shows us how much division there is in the world and how divided, really, people's hearts and minds are. Through Romans, Paul, and indeed primarily God, is breaking down every dividing wall between every man, woman, and child. It's incredible. It's what the gospel does. It's who God is. In the instance of Romans, it's breaking down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews and Gentiles, they were even more uh, different, if you can imagine it, than like Labour voters and Conservative voters or the Green Party. They're just totally different, opposite ends of, of the spectrum in terms of lifestyle and beliefs. And yet God... God's plan is to unite all people together. Perfect unity, not only between one another, but between man and woman and God. Now, to help us orient ourselves, because we're going to be covering Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3 today, okay? So we've got a lot uh, to cover. But to help us orient ourselves, I just would love Jacinta, oh there you are, brilliant, to come up, and Jacinta's going to read um, the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son, feel free, come up, the story of the prodigal son um, and the elder brother, and what I want us to see as Jacinta reads it is that uh, Romans 1 really covers the prodigal son. And Romans 2 looks at the elder brother. And we often hear about the prodigal son in that story, but we forget about right at the end, there is actually the elder brother and how he responds to his dad. So we're going to see just this mirroring, hopefully, Romans 1 with the prodigal son, uh, Romans 2 with the elder brother. Okay? Yeah, of course. You are on.
1: Jesus, ooh, (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) okay, great, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate, A please wouldn't have gone amiss there, I would say, so he divided his property between them. He was lost, and it is found. It's the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Thank you, Jacinta. Okay, so Romans 1 equates to the prodigal son, and we covered this last week. Steve uh, looked at the person who rejects God and chases after other things for happiness, for satisfaction, for hope. Because we are all designed to worship as humans, if you take God out of the equation of your life, all we're left with is to worship created things. The things around us, so people or possessions or money or sex or power, that's all we're left with to worship. Now, Steve covered this, but it was so helpful. He said the problem with this is that they demand more and more of us, that as we worship them, we have to sacrifice more and more of our lives to them, more and more of our money to them, more and more of our heart, our affections, more and more of our time, our heart, our anxieties, our feelings to them. Just to quote, oh no, it's this book. Um, Just to quote Andrew Ollerton. So this is uh, a book which we would highly recommend if you uh, got it just to work alongside uh, the series Romans, a letter that makes sense of life. And he says that when you want something so much, you become obsessed with it and controlled by it, going into overdrive to have it. In other words, it's addiction, it's bondage. It's being ruined by something you hoped would fulfill you, When we worship idols, we become enslaved by their dark side. So by way of examples, just to help us um, root that, Ollerton says that if you worship money, you'll live in fear of never having enough. Worship body image or beauty, and you'll feel ugly and inadequate by comparison. Worship intellect and being smart, and you'll always feel like a fraud on the verge of being found out. In short, apart from the living God, pretty much everything else will eat you alive. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 puts it really helpfully. It says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. So that was last week. That was the prodigal sons. That was the, the Gentiles, those who didn't know God. Now, this week, we're moving into chapters 2 and 3, and we'll see Paul addressing the Jewish tendency to look judgmentally upon the Gentiles, upon the prodigals. It's the elder brother looking judgmentally upon the younger son. Like, how could you accept the younger son who has so abused and disrespected you? How could you do that? So that's moving into Romans chapter 2, and we're going to root ourselves in chapter 3, verses 21 uh, towards the end, um, and we'll refer back to uh, that tendency of the Jewish, judgmental, pharisaical. Um, and just to say before we, we read the passage, um, that for you in this room, like you might just lean towards one of those two. And it's probably helpful just to be searching your heart as, as I speak, just thinking, okay, well, which one am I? Like You might be even a prodigal now, you might just be thinking, actually, I don't believe in God. I'm, I'm living for myself. You might have lived a prodigal life, and now you've turned to Christ, and you might have turned into that pharisaical older brother. You know, you, you could be at any end of the spectrum at any point, but it's helpful just to us to acknowledge that so we can let God do some heart work in us. Okay, chapter 3, verse 21. But now... It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Okay, this section starts with these two words, but now. It's a hinge point, a change of focus, a movement away from looking at the Gentiles and looking at the Jewish pharisaical older brother, and it's saying, but now. It's a focus from the failure of humans to worship their creator, Switching over to the faithfulness of God, to extend salvation towards His creation, and this faithfulness is made known. uh, We see see it there in verse twenty-one, that the righteousness of God has been made known. His righteousness, God's righteousness, is His perfect holiness. It's His justice, His goodness. God is completely incapable of sin. He's totally unchanging. He's not open to the whims that we are as humans or the changing tides of culture. And boy, are the tides of culture changing so rapidly within the last few decades technologically, scientifically, emotionally, morally. Like the tides are changing. God is absolutely unchanging. That's the good news. It's the righteousness of God. He's perfectly holy, just and good. He always has been, and he always will be. Now, biblically, the righteousness of God is always contrasted, or not always, is often contrasted with the uh, sinfulness of humanity and humans turning their backs on God. And it begs the question, That if God is so perfect on one side, and we are so imperfect on the other side, how can a just God declare sinners to be righteous? And it's something that we should care deeply about as humans, because if the diagnosis is that we are sinful and broken, then we need to know what the answer is, what the solution to that is. We may have thought that as a culture that we've dis- supposedly disposed of God through things like science, technology, and maybe more recently through things like therapy, but we've also pushed, pushed the idea of God to the edges of our concern. Like When I talk to my friends who don't know Jesus, they're more concerned on uh, which channels have the, the right sports, the, you know, what, what we're going to watch on Netflix, how for other people it might be how we're going to put food on the table this week, I haven't got enough money to provide the, the concern is not, how can I get right with my maker? It's how can I you know, orchestrate my life or even just survive within the, the challenges of it? So is this question still relevant? I think the Bible would say absolutely. Absolutely it's still relevant. We see people in their droves turning to new age, to modern beliefs, to... Um, Practices such as yoga, karma, and Reiki are increasingly common. It's people looking for hope. It's people looking for peace. It's people looking for uh, satisfaction. It's people looking for deep healing. And they're looking to these new age spiritual places a lot of the time. Jesus is the only one that offers those things to the full, All the others are counterfeits. But God offers perfect peace, perfect hope, perfect connection, perfect redemption, a perfect, for, a perfect solution for the heart problem that we have. And so we shouldn't therefore be ashamed of the gospel. That is really good news. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah? It is good news news. And at times we can be ashamed of it for various reasons. We might think we just don't know the answers. We might think, oh, what will they think of us? Uh, We might also think, and I came across this helpful booklet, which I just grabbed a load of um, and put on your seat. So please do take these. But sometimes we can think like, what is even the law at the moment? Like, am I allowed to share my faith in the workplace? Like what, what sort of ground is that? Am I allowed to pray for people in the workplace? Things like that. All questions that are in the media at the moment. Really helpful, simple little booklet um, produced by the Evangelical Alliance. So do take that home, read that. I think that will give you some confidence to know actually we have great freedoms in this country to be able to share Jesus with people. Okay. We've seen as we read through Romans chapter 3 that the diagnosis that God gives us is that we are spiritually sick, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that we don't just need a little bit of tinkering or positive thinking. We need a solution that gets to the core. And the solution that God gives is, is written there in verse 24, where it says that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we've talked about righteousness, talked about God's perfect righteousness, we are unrighteous. This deal of justification is being made righteous, and that's what God does freely, gives us freely. It's the good news that we can be forgiven, that we can be made right with God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us. To be justified means to be declared righteous, to be declared not guilty, perfect, absolved of guilt, acceptable. It's not that we didn't do the things that we're now ashamed of or the things that we know are wrong, but that God still declares us righteous so that we go into the courtroom knowing we're guilty and we come out declared not guilty because of the blood of Jesus. Now, Paul uses two connection uh, points uh, in the passage to help the people, the readers, the hearers understand what does this justification look like? And he uses the ideas of slavery and sacrifice. Verse 24. So read that again. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. That's the slavery word. Or the slavery connection. That came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That's the sacrifice. So there's this deal of slavery and sacrifice. Let's take slavery first. The Gentile hearers would have uh, received that um, and thought of Roman slavery. It was a big deal in that society. A third of Gentiles within that society would have been slaves. A huge number. Every third person would have been a slave. Many were captured in foreign lands, brought to Rome essentially as human machines. They were sold in slave markets. They had to walk along with price tags around their neck. They were completely and totally dehumanized. Treated as inferior, as inhuman. I wonder how they would have received the good news of spiritual liberation in Christ. I think they would have found great hope and comfort in the gospel of redemption. Great hope that they were loved by God no matter their status in society. God gave them a new identity in Christ that was not defined by their past or their present or even what their future might look like. It was defined in who God said they were as a child of God. They were given purpose and meaning. They were given a future hope resulting in strength to endure hardships in the present. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what redemption of Christ does for us. That whatever our past, whatever our present, whatever our future, we are justified by the free gift of grace through the shedding of Jesus' blood. We bring nothing to the equation other than our sin. He does everything. So there's no point us pretending to be better than we are. That's pointless. We are as rubbish as we could be. okay. And that should free us up like, to receive the grace. If we're just carrying a load of baggage and we're like, no, I can't get rid of that baggage, can't get rid of that baggage. There's no, there's no position. We're not able to receive the free gift of God's grace, to take that on and receive it freely. So Jesus has paid the price. He's We who were trapped in slavery to ourselves, to our past, to Satan, Jesus has freed us. Our loving creator has paid the price and we become then indebted to him. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That we we, we were once slaves to the enemy, to our sin. We are actually now slaves to Christ. And that's not a bad thing. You think, oh, I've swapped one slavery for another slavery. It depends who the master is. If the master is good and has our every best interest, if he has our good in mind, then we can, we can be assured, rest assured, okay, everything he calls us to do, everything he asks of us, everything he asks for us to give up, it's for our good, It's for us to be more free, to be more peaceful, joyful, full of hope, to be kinder and more loving and generous to others. He's a good, good master. Okay, that's the Gentiles. The Jews would have heard this um, idea of redemption and slavery and sacrifice. They would have thought back to the Exodus story, when God freed them from... Uh, being under the rule of the Pharaoh in Egypt. They were enslaved. And God, in his judgment against Pharaoh, against uh, this Egyptian tyrannical rule, God brought these ten plagues, and it culminates... I mean, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, or hopefully more accurately read the account in the Bible, um, you will know the story, but it ends with this deal of the Passover... Where God says to the Israelites, look, sacrifice a perfect lamb. Take the blood of the sacrificed lamb. Spread it on the doorposts and the lintel uh, of the door. And as the angel of death comes through to kill the firstborn in judgment of sin. The angel of death will know that you've put your trust in God. That you've put your trust In him who provides a saviour. And that's what happened. And then they experienced freedom. Pharaoh said, look, go. Get out of here. They went through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, ended up in the promised land, but they experienced freedom. And so the Jews would have have thought, yeah, okay, redemption, freedom from sin, from slavery, from brokenness, into new life, into the promised land, into a life uh, of abundance. whether Jew or Gentile, prodigal or the elder brother, the one who knows they've messed up and the one who is judging, just judgmental in their heart and attitude, thinking that they're better than everyone else. Jesus paid our ransom price. No, there's no room for boasting um, in that. We'll get that to that in a moment. So he purchased our freedom. Verse 24. Hopefully, just a sort of word of pastoral. Um, hopefully, my, my hope is, and, and, the, and I think the, the, the heart of Romans is that as we believe these realities about ourselves, is that brings incredible life change. There's no... Often that is the way. Like, I've had a really, like, mental week. Like, it's just... Stuff's gone wrong most days, and it's fairly major stuff. Um, but the battle is in my mind, in my heart. The times where I've, I've felt like, actually, I'm, I'm seeing some perspective is actually when I've, I've set my mind on Christ. Because I can then see things in perspective. I see, well, that doesn't matter. Or I could learn from that. Or maybe God's teaching me that because I didn't learn that last time. It's all up here. So as we embrace these truths that actually we're set free in Christ, we're sons and daughters of him, we're loved, we're accepted, it changes us. And another thing that we can embrace is that this gift is 100% free. So verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace. So if you imagine a, a drowning man, he's struggling, he's going to drown, he's going under, he's out in the open water, he's about to give it up hope, and suddenly a rescuer comes out from nowhere, they jump into the water and pull him to safety, and the man is really grateful for the rescuer's help, but this man that was drowning did nothing to earn it. He didn't do anything to deserve the help. The the rescuer simply gave of his help and his kindness out of love for this other person. It would have been absolutely ridiculous for the person who was drowning to have got out and said, oh, so glad I sorted that situation out. (laughs) Just ridiculous. Like If the person was real about the situation that he was in, He'd have known, like, thank you so much. I owe everything to you. That communicates something of God's grace and our response to it. It cost Jesus everything, but the gift of life and righteousness that he offers to us is 100% free. It's a gift that he gives and offers and says, will you take it? This, this way of, oh, um, this truth is unique amongst all religions, okay? Now, AI is quite a big thing, so I put this into BARD, if you've heard of BARD. BARD isn't like an AI generative um, thing where you ask it a question it tells you an answer. So I just thought I'd be the first person here at City West to quote a, uh, an artificial intelligence source. Um, And they actually got it really, really spot on. Um, They said that it's this, sort of mocking it in one sense, but um, I'm sure we'll be speaking more about AI in the years to come. Um, This sets Christianity apart. So this idea of grace um, being an extended free gift that we can't do anything to deserve. This sets Christianity apart from all other religions and worldviews, different from the Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish Torah, and the Muslim code of law. They offer a way to earn approval. It is only Jesus who offers salvation 100% as a gift. It is so appealing. It's good news. We don't have to bring anything. (laughs) We don't have to pretend. We can just accept the free gift of grace. We bring our sin. We say, God, I've messed up. Man, I know I need you. I've been judgmental. I've judged others where I've been in sin myself or I've been that prodigal. I receive your gift of grace. It's what it looks like to accept Jesus and then to walk with him in freedom. Daily, repenting, turning back to him. Because we're saved by grace, but we don't graduate from grace as if we then go on to other things. We live by grace, daily. And we need to keep accepting that in our lives every single day and extend that to others as well. It means that there's no more room for boasting or judgmentalism. You can read through how the Jews were responding to the Gentiles um, in chapter 2 uh, of Romans. But this only happens when a person believes that they're better than another, and there's no room for that in Christ. And, and i just love to bring God's word to bear on us as a, as a church family that there's no room for that amongst us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we, therefore, we're not judgmental to others. We might make good judgments about other people. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. Say, look, don't do that. You can't follow Jesus and do that. That's not going to be good for you. Let me help you, lovingly help you. But we're not judgmental as if we're at a higher place than another person or better off than, than others. We extend the grace of God to everyone else we also extend that grace in our disposition to other people those who don't know jesus those maybe our neighbors our work colleagues family friends so we extend that to people who believe very different things about uh, than us about a whole host of different things like gender and sex and identity About what we're to do with our bodies. We don't, we're not judgmental in that. We extend the grace and the love of God, trying to draw them to find their life and their hope and their fulfillment and their identity in the person of Jesus, because only He will satisfy. Just imagine if we each owned this reality think there'll be a lot less pride, a lot less discrimination, a lot less hatred—not just in the world, but also um, in the church. For me personally, I used to be, uh, still am, to obviously to a certain degree, but I used to be even more uh, self-sufficient, perfection-seeking. I lacked compassion to others. I was really rubbish at acknowledging my own failings. Rubbish at that. And it was only when I accepted or began to accept how broken I actually was that God could come in and bring healing and bring forgiveness and begin to shape and transform me into his likeness. Maybe you need to acknowledge that today. Maybe you've been striving Maybe you've been trying to hide, or you've been just that perfection-seeking person looking down on others. And I'm sure it's all in here, like, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily always come out, but you'll be more able to engage with others, love others. You'll be more relaxed, (laughs) more accepting of God's help, more able to love and care for others, and you'll grow in becoming more like Christ. Accept who you are and fall on the grace of God. I think that's maybe a summary of the first three chapters of Romans. Accept who you are and fall on the grace of God. And then extend it to others. Let's stand. We're going to respond. It's always good to mix uh, God's word with faith and to, to... uh, take God's word and actually act upon it, actually do something with it. And so these moments that we always have really after uh, we hear from God's word is, is really for us to cement that in our own lives, to ask God, like, what are you doing with me? Where, what's going on in my heart? And you might have felt a sense of, as, as I've preached, just God highlighting certain things or attitudes or behaviors and maybe things that you think, actually, yeah, I, need to, I need to repent from that. I need to talk to God about that. I need to talk to you know, people I trust about that. I need to ask God for healing and help. Verse 25, it says that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We can respond as we, we sing. I just want to give us an opportunity um, uh, now for, well, for people who want to respond to Jesus for the first time, okay, so maybe you've just not been a follower of Jesus before, and you want, you've heard about sin, you've heard about God's grace, and through the cross, him dying, taking that upon himself, and offering new life, and you want that new life in Jesus, so if we could just all close our eyes as we respond, it's between you and Jesus, but I want to give you sort of a sort of public way of just responding to that. So if that's you, you just want to say, yeah, I want to accept Jesus, I want to follow him. Just raise your hand so I can can see because I just want to pray for you. Okay, thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your wonderful grace. I do pray for all of us, Lord Jesus that we would be those who live by grace, who accept your grace for us, for those of us who are judgmental and we lean in that direction. Lord, soften our hearts. Reveal to us the depths of our brokenness without you and those areas of our lives where you, you want to change, bring transformation, bring new life. Or for those amongst us who have been the prodigal. Jesus, to know and to believe that coming to you is a new start. It's a new life. It's grace, and you'll always accept us. And I pray help, please unite us together as those prodigals and the elder brother. Unite us together in one family, of one heart, extending grace to one another as we move forward, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.